This is the Epilog Audio Experience. Quick disclaimer for a podcast, the SOS show, points discussed in this podcast should not be relied upon as conclusive medical advice in any case. The host shall not be a substitute for proper medical professional. You must seek professional help in case of any requirement. Thank you. On World Mental Health Day, October 10th, we also approach the 100th episode of the SOS show. Thank you to everyone who has been a part of the journey and to everyone tirelessly working to create awareness about mental health and well-being. Hi guys, welcome to the 100th episode of our podcast The SOS Show with me Suchita and today's episode is about one of the major cultural movements happening in workspaces that will redefine our culture and mental health. The future of work A drastic shift in the attitudes of people has happened post the pandemic where their mental well-being has taken a priority over their careers over their burnout and stress what remains to be seen is how fast this attitude is penetrating the world over because even this month there has been a tragedy at work a 33-year-old employee working in an emergency was found dead next to her desk the reason cited was overwork and burnout Dr. Livy Sanders is our guest for today. She's a leading expert on understanding the future of work and how we can reimagine work to live more meaningful and creative lives. She's an assistant professor of organizational behavior at Bond University, a fellow of the Australian Institute of Management, the founder and director of the Future of Work project and Rethink and an agenda contributor at the World Economic Forum. Libby is regularly featured on radio and in national and international media including the Wall Street Journal, the Financial Times, BBC, The Guardian and is a feature writer for The Conversations. Hi Libby, welcome to our podcast The SOS Show and thank you for being here. Thank you for being able to take time and share the brilliant work that you're doing uh, specifically when we are talking about in the field of mental health. So thank you so much. Thanks Ajay, it's fantastic to be here. I'm really looking forward to chatting with you. Okay, Libby, I read your brilliant article uh, which also mentioned about the tragedy that happened with the 33-year-old Ernst and young employee that she was found dead next to her desk early morning and uh, you mentioned that it was overwork, it was fatigue, it was burnout. and it possibly was 65 hours every week every day for a year yeah i think uh you know it's not so much specifically about that employee although obviously it was a very tragic situation and and obviously the investigations are continuing into that's uh what happened but uh having worked in professional services before my academic career and seeing you know there is often these cultures of overwork and you know very high KPIs for people to achieve and so uh, for me I just felt very strongly uh you know in the area of research and work that I do that we need to speak out more that it's not enough just to do hybrid work from home or work remotely if we still have cultures where people are expected to be working you know 65 hours a week or more um just to get their job done because that's not sustainable for the employee and it's certainly not sustainable for the company. Yes, absolutely. 
So with your work, the kind of work that you're doing, when we're talking about rethink the future of work, when we're talking about designing the future of work, uh, and you, as you mentioned, the culture of overwork. So we are still living in a culture where, A, you have to overwork because that's your stepping stone to the next level of the work that you're doing. Also, it's sort of considered... Uh, so if I may just use the word boasting about it that you know I have not slept the whole night I have worked uh, you have mentored you are looking at people like Elon Musk who are saying that you need to put in your 70 plus hours of work plus uh, hours of work every week so how do you how, what would you say about this culture that's pervading deep inside globally yeah, I think there are some companies who are now very aware of, you know, the huge issues that we have relating to uh, mental health in the workplace, to overwork, to unsustainable work cultures, and who are taking very proactive steps to change that. But of course, uh, you know, on the flip side, there are companies who, who are not doing that. And, you know, not just from the company side, but you will still hear in some industries and amongst some employees where, we still think it's like this badge of honor to work yeah. long hours and work extreme hours and say, oh, I don't have a weekend. I work, you know, seven days a week because I'm in this hustle culture to get ahead. And, yeah. you know, so I think it's important for individuals to understand the effects that that obviously can have on them personally and on the rest of their lives, but also for companies to take really active steps to uh, to break these expectations that it's just normal um, to work this way. And if you do want to get ahead and climb the ladder that you have to do, you know, extreme excessive hours. Because I think everyone appreciates, look, there'll be times you have to do extra and you have to, you know, things happen and, and there might be a busy project. But when you're consistently expected to work, as I you know, had a conversation with one uh, employee recently, you know, 65 hours a week, um, she had been working for a year then, you know, that is an indication that this is not a sustainable culture and we need to really do something to change that. Yes, absolutely. What is your work? How are you creating uh, an awareness when we talk about, you know, speaking to the companies, being part of, you know, certain organizations? Um, what are certain steps uh, that uh, you are taking to create awareness uh, in the companies when it comes to changing their uh, badge of honor culture of overwork? Yeah, I think what's really important is that companies will t really step back and genuinely say, look, what's our mission? What are our values? Are we really living those values? So if we have um, you know, a value statement that says, oh, you know, our employees come first, we care about employee well-being, but yet our actions are very different to that. So in fact, we reward, uh, you know, poor behavior or toxic behavior, or we reward people who do, you know, have the longest face time in the office or who do the longest hours, then we've sort of got this incongruence between what we say and what we do. And so that's the first place to start to say, you know, do our actions and behaviors um, through things like our promotion systems, our performance management systems, you know, do they really support what we're saying? And so, it's really looking at, well, yes, our employees might be productive for a short amount of time working these hours, but eventually we're going to burn through them quite quickly. They'll get burnt out and they'll leave the company. And so, 
that's not a sustainable proposition going forward because we know there are you know declining demographics globally uh, of talent available in the workforce and so companies are really going to need to to rethink as you said how are they designing the work environment how are they designing jobs what kind of culture and leadership uh, behaviors are they promoting um, in order to get and keep um, good talent because at the end of the day it will become a competitive issue for those organizations who are not uh, putting employees first. Absolutely. And also you mentioned a figure which was specifically related to Australia that mentioned that 50%, more than 50% people are not happy with their jobs, which is like there's a lack of job satisfaction. Uh, do you think that's pervading the world over? Yeah, I think what we have seen uh, in engagement, employee engagement research for decades is that employee engagement has been declining globally. It sits at around about a third of employees being engaged. So if we look at what is the, you know, flow and effect and cost of that to organizations, you know, it's absolutely enormous. Presenteeism uh, in Australia before COVID, so sort of being at work and not feeling well, not feeling at your best, not being able to work, um, you know, effectively cost our economy $54 billion a year. Absenteeism was only $7 billion a year. And so those figures are sort of replicated, obviously, on different scales you know, in places like the US and Europe and the United Kingdom. So it's an enormous cost to organizations uh, to have people who are overworked, who are not satisfied, who are not engaged in their jobs. And, you know, ultimately that's, you know, far, far more expensive than we realize. Yes, absolutely. Um, but Louis, we are talking about you know, the behaviors of employers that needs to be sort of taken care of to change the culture, of course, that is the one where it will trickle from. But the whole, since decades, we are in this hustle culture, which says that everyone wants to move ahead in life. Everyone, everyone wants that stepping stone. So how do we address, so it's a cultural thing deep-rooted perhaps inside our DNA, our parents did that, you know, the coming generation is doing that, that you have to work really, really hard and put in those amount of work. How do you change, how do you change the employee's behavior towards the burnout culture? Mm. Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I think what's been fascinating to observe during COVID is that people's definition um, of success in relation to their career and yes. their definition of ambition about their career has changed quite a lot since COVID because, you know, I yeah. think people didn't imagine that suddenly we'd be, you know, locked down in our homes, you know, seeing this sort of tragedy play out around us, you know, on so many different fronts. And people are now sort of saying things like, well, I don't know when there's going to be another pandemic and, and my perspective on life has shifted as a result of um, surviving this pandemic. And so, you know, I, this wheel of success, if we used to have mainly, you know, it was only filled up with job title and salary and that was our definition of success, there are now yeah. other pieces of that pie chart that people are adding in. So, you know, what's my health like? What are my relationships like? How much um, free time do I get to pursue other interests or hobbies outside of work? And so I think for a lot of people, we're starting to see this and the rise of the anti-work movement, uh, which is becoming, you know, much more and more prevalent where people are saying, you know, I don't want to work 
as much as I used to. Uh, you know, the, the yeah. career is not necessarily the center of my life. And so I think, yeah. and in, in young people as well, um, this is right through all of the different demographics. And so I think there's been this huge mindset shift, um, since COVID. Yeah, I think that's a great point, which is like a shift in mindset where people, their attitudes are moving towards, you know, something that is more liberating, which is more value adding for them. The priorities are changing uh, in terms of the work versus their personal life. Libby, do you see a lot of that change uh, penetrating in the in the work culture in terms of you mentioned dog eat dog culture we are still in that dog eat dog, eat dog culture where uh, there is a very stiff competition so how do you address that yeah i think um some of this comes down to particular types of cultures in certain companies and also particular industries some of uh, some industries are more notorious for these type of highly competitive cultures for progression than others are and so I think those conversations need to come back to the organizational level to say, you know, we need to institute policies and we need to institute practices in how we manage the organization and the type of culture that we engender that it isn't fostering these unhealthy, toxic, highly competitive cultures where, you know, the person who does the most, uh, you know, gets ahead without any consideration for is this, uh, you know, actually what's in the best interest ultimately of that person, of the client, you know, of the organization, of the team. And, you know, we know that, uh, you know, it's not sustainable and it ultimately isn't productive for companies to have, you know, toxic cultures or, you know, cultures of overwork. And so I think, you know, that conversation is something that has to continue to be had. And, you know, we're seeing, you know, that change, um, perhaps not as quickly in some industries as we'd like, but there's certainly, you know, change happening. Let me tell me when we're talking about, uh, you know, an employee putting in like 10 hours of work every day, with your uh, research, do they really work for 10 hours or the actual work happens much less and it is actually the politics and the toxicity which is actually brewing most of the time in, in work cultures that takes a lot of time. You know, when I was talking, you know, just a moment ago about, uh, you know, this presenteeism, I think that's exactly what we're talking about here. Because, no, people will say to me, of course, we're not working for 10 hours, uh, you know, a day. And with the pilots that are going on at the moment for the four-day uh, four work week, one of the things that they're doing in those pilots is to go into companies and say, hey, what are all the things that we can stop doing here? Where are all the inefficiencies that are playing out that we can actually look to save time um, that we might otherwise be wasting? But I'm sure everyone, you know, of your listeners can relate to, you know, being at work and, you know, having plenty of time where you think this is just a waste of time. You know, we're having too many meetings. We didn't need to have this meeting. We could have sent an email. Uh, you know, yeah. we're going out for coffee where there's the people wandering around the office just chatting. Uh, you know, and of course it's important for us to have that social connection, but you know, it's that idea that work can expand to fulfill the time that's available for its completion. And so, you know, if you think, well, I have to be in the office for 10 hours or 12 hours because the boss is here for that long or I'm expected to be here for that long. You know, we're not being productive for that long. You know, knowledge workers probably, you know, we know can't work at a highly productive level on concentrated cognitive work for that length of time. So there are all these other so, things. So, that so how many, in. how many, I'm just, I'm just butting in here. How many hours is actually actual productive work according to the research? 
Well, of course, it, it varies depending on, you know, different jobs yeah. and, it, and varies on different individuals. But, you know, there's some thought that, you know, knowledge workers really have sort of three to four hours a day when they're able to do that highly concentrated knowledge work. Yeah. And then after that, you know, we're filling the time with perhaps things that obviously still need to get done, like administration and, you know, all, all kinds of things. But this idea that we can just come in day in, day out um, and, and do this highly analytical, critical, creative um, you know, cognitive work for eight, 10, 12 hours a day is, is just not reality. So we're talking about just three to four hours of real deep work, productive work. And actually the remaining time is mostly going to be into other things, maybe admin work or, you know, what, whatever the culture of the country promotes. Exactly. That, you know, we spend a lot of time in meetings. We spend hours and hours of our week in meetings, yeah. uh, you know, depending on the company, yeah. uh, you know, and sort of, as you said, perhaps trying to do things, uh, write reports for people who aren't even there anymore that we don't actually need to do. So there's always a lot of things that we can look, how could we do this better? How could we do this differently? And they're really important conversations to have in every company to continually revisit that, that concept that, you know, just because we've always done it this way doesn't mean that it's actually working well and it doesn't mean we should continue to do it this way. Yeah, yeah, totally. Tell me, Libby, now we are talking about as we move forward post the pandemic, we are envisioning a lot of things like you mentioned about four-hour work week, which uh, Tim Ferriss also has written a book about uh, how we need to rethink um, we're also talking about the spaces for work. How do we need to redefine those spaces? Uh, just to uh, uh, start with, when we're talking about a four-hour work week, what is exactly that you think it's being proposed? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, Tim Ferriss's book, which was fantastic, you know, I read it you know, several times when, when it first came out. You know, I think it's the 15th year, I think, anniversary this year of the yeah. book. Um, and I think, you know, Tim himself would say he, he never actually meant it to be that you're only working for four hours a week, but it was a real pattern interrupt to say, you know, a bigger version of what we have talked about that people often, you know, they think I'm going to go through my career and then I'm just hanging out for my one holiday a year. Or I've got all these things I want to do when I retire, but then when they actually retire, they think, oh gosh, I'm, you know, I'm really bored or, you know, I didn't really want to do that. And so, this idea of putting off our life because of our work is really, I think, what the central message of the book was about. And, you know, before flexibility became a widespread conversation and remote work, it was this idea that, you know, you could restructure work to do project-based work, to, you know, negotiate longer breaks or sabbaticals between different projects or, you know, different things that you were doing so that you weren't just postponing the rest of your life and everything you wanted to do until your annual leave or until you retired. And I think that concept now is obviously, you know, really come to the front of mind after COVID where that's exactly what people are wanting to do. We're seeing many companies offering permanent remote work. So, you know, countries offering, you know, digital nomad visas where you can go and live in the country without paying tax. You know, Bali recently introduced this. So uh, Bermuda has a digital nomad visa. There's like 25 different countries and territories now that, that are offering this. So, you know, this idea is that you can actually do other things in your life that you think perhaps you couldn't have done at the same time before when wow. you were commuting to an office five days a week and, and then spending your whole week there. 
What are you saying that 25 countries, including Bali, have given a work permit to people globally to go there and work? Yeah, so they've got different arrangements for, for sort of each one. But yeah, this digital nomad visa where you can go there and you can um, work from the country. So in Bali, for example, um, if you go there on a digital nomad visa, um, you can work there for, I think it's five months at the moment that or six months, but they're proposing five wow. years where you don't actually have to pay tax either. So this war for talent is actually becoming prevalent between countries. It's not just between companies anymore um, because, yeah, Bermuda's program has found that I think it's already injected in two years around $28 million into their local economy. So, you know, this whole landscape of work and the whole landscape of the war for talent is really shifting very rapidly. Wow, a digital nomad visa. I don't know how many, how, how much will our listeners be aware, but this is like the most amazing growth that's happened. Like it's a post-pandemic so growth, exciting. if I'm not wrong. It's yeah, so, so exciting. exciting. You can do it. <laughs> and yeah. imagine everyone taking it and how, the mental well-being is going to jump to next level with this. Less stress. Yeah. What do you think? It- Exactly. Like, you know, every time, oh, you know, this has been a conversation quite a lot recently in media. I've been yeah. speaking on you know, TV and radio because, yeah, everyone is so excited thinking, I think I want to go and live in Bali or, you know, I want to yeah. go to Costa Rica where I can, you know, have a much lower cost of living. And every morning before I start work, I can go surfing in the morning um, or, yeah. or I yeah. can engage in conservation efforts in the biosphere there. You know, it's this idea that you can go somewhere that you've is going to pursue a way of life or an interest that you have that previously we thought we didn't have the opportunity to do. And I think this is a, you know, a really dramatic and exciting shift that um, has been a long time coming. And, you know, that was a good thing to come out of COVID because we were forced to work, you know, almost overnight yes. from home. And then yes. all of the conversation around, well, we can't be productive, it won't work. That all just went away very quickly when we proved that that wasn't the case. Um, and so now all these other possibilities are, are opening up. So when we're talking about the flexible working spaces, Libby, do you think that that's also going to affect the monies that the employees are going to charge? Do you think that the the payments, the wages, the remunerations, the fees is going to come down? Or what? how do you envision that? Yeah, look, I think it, you know, it's obviously a, an interesting conversation and, I think there will be variations obviously based on yeah. the particular person and and based on the industry and the job. But I think the reality remains that, you know, good talent is really hard to find and good talent yes. is really hard to keep. And we have this declining demographic, declining um, people who are available to participate in the workforce. And so, you know, anyone who employs someone who's fantastic will say, well, look, just because they want to work from, you know, uh, Bali for a few months, I'm probably not going to reduce their salary. You know, other companies have done that. I know in, in the US they've said, look, it's not as expensive to live, say, in a rural area that, than it is in, say, New York. So we will make an adjustment for that based on the cost of living. Um, so it does vary between industry and company. But on the whole, I think if we have this concept that, you know, good talent is, is very difficult to find, then, you know, that's probably where things will go. Tell me, Libby, when you're talking about envisioning or envisioning the future of work in uh, a few other points, uh, how 
deep is mindfulness getting inside our culture everyone is talking about mindfulness and mental health and stress and uh, suddenly the, the the you know there has been a lot of conversations around this absolutely uh you know mental health is you know an enormous issue for uh, you know society in general and and within organizations for employees and so i think it's it's great we're getting greater awareness first people talking about this more in the workplace things like you know are you okay day uh, you know, these conversations to encourage people to talk about how are you feeling, you know, do you need help? And it's okay to talk about uh, mental health challenges that we are experiencing. And that's, you know, so, so important. So I think initiatives, you know, many companies do offer things like mindfulness classes, yoga classes. Uh, you know, we have research shows that spending time in nature is tremendously beneficial for our stress levels, reducing our cortisol levels, you know, helping restore our brains because, you know, our attention is so, you know, scattered, you know, we have so many demands on our time and our, on our focus at work every day. So just a simple thing like going outside at lunchtime, going into a green space and, you know, even sitting there for a few minutes has been shown to restore our, you know, cognitive resources and to reduce our stress levels. And so, we're seeing that coming more into our cities, more into our workplaces, green walls, you know, the use of biophilic design. So I think these things are so important to be aware that, you know, we can't just keep running on a treadmill all day. We do need to take time out. Um, yeah. And so things like mindfulness are, are very helpful. Did we, how, how do you think how fast is the penetration of this happening in terms of uh, uh, the shift in the mindset of of companies of and of employees. How fast is it? Do you see that in the next ten years or the next five years or the next three years, we're going to be seeing a dramatic shift into what the world is right now in terms of the future of work? I hope so, Sajida. I hope so. Uh, I think it does again vary um, in different countries. I think it varies in different industries and different companies. But overall, it's been enormously elevated as a result of the pandemic. And so, people are really the ones who are driving this now from an employee perspective, saying, you know, if an employer isn't offering me, you know, a healthy work culture, you know, if my well-being is being impacted. Um, you know, they're much less likely to just stay in that job now than they might have been before the pandemic. People are demanding flexibility. We know that, you know, at least two thirds of people have said, you know, I want flexibility in my job. If that's hybrid or it's fully remote, that varies. And they are willing to vote with their feet if the employer doesn't offer that. And so I think that is driving this shift and will continue to do that. So if the pandemic had not happened, we would not, we'd no, we would not have seen the shift? I think for sure. We've had the ability to do all the things we're doing now for you know many years now. Yeah. But the challenge was we had this mindset that people can't, we can't do things outside the office. We can't be productive. And, you know, and there were many industries where, you know, it was a surprise. We didn't think we would have newspapers being printed from people's homes, that we've got radio and TV. We had Jimmy Kimmel doing his show from his, you know, <laughs> lounge yeah. room. And we didn't yeah. necessarily think things like that were possible. You know, Zoom was very rarely used for meetings before COVID. And, you know, now, you know, the great thing is I uh, live about an hour outside of our major capital city um, in our state. And I had a, a, you know, a new client meeting and, 
you know, it was just automatically set up on Zoom. Like it wasn't even a conversation, (laughs) Um, which was fantastic because, you know, we had a a nice chat for about 45 minutes and then I was able to carry on with my day. And before COVID, it would have automatically been assumed, you know, I would drive 45 minutes up to the city and I have to find car parking and then go into the, and then 45 minutes home, you know, so it's kind of half my day is lost just for this one call. And of course, there are many meetings that are better to do in person. But, you know, for things like that, it's just been a total, you know, change that I, I get another two or three hours in my day. Um, yeah. And so I don't know if we hadn't had COVID, I, I think we would have still kept this mindset that it's, you know, it's too hard. Um, you know, we, it's not going to work. We're not going to be productive. Everyone's just going to be on their couch watching Netflix and bludging all day in their pajamas, <laughs> which <laughs> we know um, wasn't true, even though we did have to watch a lot of Netflix probably in, in lockdown. Yeah, lovely. Love. So, so what a great point, you know, how the pandemic has brought everybody online and even though you are you know and the same thing what you just mentioned that you didn't drive 45 minutes to take the meeting you didn't have to look for a car parking it was automatically fixed on a zoom you know and you talk about 45 kilometers i've experienced that in less than 10 kilometers in two three kilometers as well where people are saying okay let's just do the meeting on zoom and finish it off so there has been more recognition for value of time rather than sort of yes um so that's your future of work as well the zoom is the future of yes. work as well still yeah i mean obviously the flexibility of that we um yes you probably saw i've also written about you know what happens if we spend all of our day on zoom it's not not the best for us <laughs> either but it's fantastic to be able to do work yeah and as you said even if you're only going you know 10 kilometers down the road it doesn't have to be 45 yeah. minutes drive it's still so much more efficient uh and it's also much more environmentally friendly to yes just get online, get on the phone. You don't even have to have a video meeting uh, rather than just drive for something that could be resolved quite quickly. Yes, so less of carbon footprint. We are going to save the universe yeah. burning that yeah. fuel of 45 minutes. Yeah. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Even traveling by aircraft, every meeting used to be, you have to be there traveling from like in Mumbai, Delhi, or I think New York, LA, wherever, you know, people used to travel yeah. and do the meetings. Yeah, exactly. And so, of course, face-to-face is is great and there are some situations where you always want that. It's preferable for certain things and building relationships. But, you know, for example, now, you know, I will often speak at a conference online, whereas, you know, before I would have to get on a plane and then maybe take the entire day or, you know, a couple of days just to go and do a one-hour presentation at a conference. And so, yeah, it just means that I get all that time back. Um, and also it's a, it's a lot more environmentally friendly and yeah, just a lot easier. Wow. That's amazing. That's amazing. Value for time. Thank you so much Libby for the kind of work that you are doing in this space specifically, which is going to benefit the mental health, any parting lines, a couple of pointers that you would tell, would like to share with our listeners, uh, with regards to perhaps the future of work, rethinking the future of work. Yeah, I think for um, people who might be employees uh, or who are starting their own business, I would say think about what your ideal day and week looks like and track this over the course of a week and then look what your actual day and week is like. And if there's a really big gap between those two things, start to think what kind of changes can you make to bring those two things closer together? And if it's impossible to do that because you have to commute a really long distance or, you know, other things are happening that is it just mean you can't change, then I would say maybe think about, 
finding a different job. You know, there is these opportunities now that we haven't had before. And from an employer's perspective, you know, these conversations are so important that if we don't provide, you know, a healthy environment for employees to flourish, you know, it's not enough just for people to be surviving their job anymore, then they are going to vote with their feet and go somewhere else. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thank you so much, Libby. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me on, Suchita. For me, the great takeaways has been that one, how we are envisioning the future of work, which is for our work week and digital nomad visa, which is issued by 25 countries where you can work from anywhere. And of course, the mindfulness that is penetrating in the new work culture. I hope you guys enjoyed the 100th episode of our podcast, The SOS Show. Thank you for supporting us. Thank you for being with us. Thank you for being a part of our podcast. You can follow the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter handles, The SOS Show Pod. And you can find me on LinkedIn. Take care, guys, and stay well. Stay well.